0: ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the uh, Pastor and the Guy Next Door podcast. This is episode 130. I am sat here with Bill, who is in pre-vacation relaxed mode, uh, although he'll be back by the time you actually hear this. But that's okay. He, uh, he looks ready to seriously get his relax on.
1: I'm practicing in a pair of shorts and uh, being a little cool today in a long sleeve t-shirt. Yes, with my three college buddies and myself on it.
0: <laughs> so yes, he uh, he looks like he's already mentally on vacation, even if he's still physically here. I've
1: been mentally on my vacation, I think, <laughs> since I was twelve years old. That's what the Jesuits told me at Campion.
0: Uh, well, they they may have they may not have been wrong.
1: No, I don't think they were, <laughs> but I did get through. In fact, I think there are a lot of. Uh, Guys with attitudes that were there as well. Bright guys with attitudes. In fact, I'm going to be seeing one of my buddies uh, in the next couple days. Sit around and yak and reminisce and find out where our lives have taken us. Always fun. Always it is, fun. it is. And you know, the thing is, we're starting to be dinosaurs, the class of 1971. We're going Ooh. to be extinct.
0: I was at least born in 1971.
1: Yeah, but five years old? Because you were born in
0: 66. That is true. Sucking my age away. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, so my wife wouldn't have been born dead.
1: That's because you robbed the cradle.
0: She's just a young'un, and I absolutely robbed the cradle. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm not denying it.
1: But that was before you became a pastor, so that's
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. she she was a dear listener. Uh, she was of legal age. She just was only just of legal age. Right, right, right. We're not in Arkansas or Kentucky. <laughs> yes, no, no, no. She was she was technically an adult. <laughs> well, that that's that works. Uh, so, what? if I was twenty nine, she would have been twenty two. Twenty two. So, yeah, see, that's, that's not. Too too bad. No. (laughs) No. So, see, it meant, you know, I was 29, she was 22. We were about the same maturity level. (laughs) (laughs) And some days I think that's the more important thing than the age being the
1: same. That, and you have to, you know, when you're a guy, we guys have to get rid of all that nonsense.
0: Oh, yeah, we gotta gotta burn off a whole lot of of silliness and foolishness and nonsense and and get it all out of our system Yep, and then we can settle down. Yes. tis true.
1: But I, I wanted to kind of make sure I was going to be in Dodgeville before I wanted to settle down with anybody, you know, uprooting two people and perhaps children. That's a tough thing to do. I don't know how people do it, you know. Within our society... Within the what, the last thirty years, with downsizing and acquisitions of corporations, and it's it's trying on families.
0: It can be, it can be. Uh, well, of course, military families move fairly often, right? And uh, until uh, let me see, until my early, I. I think think my dad was out of the navy by the time i hit my teens or real close to that uh, so prior to prior to my teens we moved all over the place uh, we moved uh, many parts of uh, southern england near the coast because when your dad's in the navy you're usually near saltwater
1: well yeah and depending on how many bases there are i have no idea yeah, yeah and uh England so we we bounced
0: around a number of different places uh it was in Watford for a while which is not near Saltwater but there is a a naval facility there where they they do a lot of super duper can't admit to that you're not allowed to know about it stuff so oh sure
1: like so a you lot go. of if I tell you the more
0: I, I'd have to kill you
1: yeah Oh, uh, I'm not But interested. I don't know, so but you I know, that's probably you. been declassified
0: now anyway. Was, oh, well, yeah, it was a while ago. So since you're an old guy now. <laughs> and it's all outdated. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a pre-teen anymore. You know, um, I've I been so, one of those for a while.
1: Lisa and I went to a, the Dodge Theater and saw Top Gun Maverick.
0: Uh, not, don't give any spoilers because I think I'm supposed to be taking my wife there it's tomorrow
1: a make yourself feel. it's a make yourself feel good movie when you walk out and just the computers and how aircraft have changed within the first Top Gun to the last one and the speed, incredible
0: oh yeah well one of the podcasts that I listen to the, the Jocko podcast, uh, the leadership training company that he uh, heads up, one of their uh, guys on their staff used to be a Top Gun instructor. And so... Pretty good pilot. Uh, he was a very good pilot. And so, so Jocko asked him to be on the podcast and he's like, so... How, how accurate was all this stuff? And he said, it, it really was very accurate. The Top uh, Gun the, stuff. The Top Gun stuff in the, the new Top Gun movie. Uh, and he was saying that the original Top Gun movie, when he watched that, he was like, yeah, somewhere around 13 years old. He said, that movie is why he went into the Air Force and became a pilot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he became a, a Top Gun instructor, and and, and now he's on to see the the second movie, and he said, "Yeah, it was spot so on. You know, they gave they gave it thumbs up. It's an excellent movie. Go watch it." But he said, "the the things that they do were were very accurate, very consistent. All of the the different things, uh, the yeah, it was all accurate. Those are all things that they that they really do. Now, you know, they they of course they crammed a lot of stuff in a two hour movie. Right?" So he said. You know, all of those things don't happen every week, <laughs> but those those are all things that can happen. And all the maneuvers that they did in the airplanes, you know, there were some maneuvers where they were, you flip over upside down. And you said, yep, they do all of those things. And
1: those... they go so fast, and they, they're next to each other. Oh, yes. Uh, they go, they fly, fly between each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It,
0: it, So it's, he said that's all legit. They they really do do that stuff because they're, they're that good. You've got to be one of the best in your uh, squadron to even be sent to Top, top gun. gun. And then, of course, the, the Top Gun instructors are just an order of magnitude better than the Top Gun students, even though those Top Gun students were the best from each of their squadrons. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, so a Top Gun instructor... Senior instructor, because there's instructors on senior instructors, they're really, really good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, the computers and the calculations and all that stuff is in their head, but it's like anything the more you do it, the better you get good at
0: it. Oh, yeah, and they, they, they practice that a, a lot. Uh, but uh, yeah, and <laughs> so, so I am looking forward to seeing the movie because it's, boy, I probably haven't seen the original one since it came out.
1: Well, I tell you, back in the late 70s, I did acquire a pilot's license. But this isn't a single landcraft. Propeller? One propeller. You get 90. It felt like you're taking off in a Volkswagen going 90 miles an hour, and then you start lifting up.
0: So uh, I shouldn't start calling you Top Gun then.
1: Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Maybe rudder. <laughs> but it was fun taxing an airplane around. Oh, you know, I'm sure. You'd know, right. you you, 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 uh, steer with your feet, and, and the steering wheel, the aileron, doesn't do anything at the ground. Right. Yeah. You know, you could spin that thing around in the circles all, all you want. It's not going to do anything. It's all with your feet. And then uh, the throttle was like a little ball on a... Um, on a staff that you would pull out and that's how you get more speed
0: Okay.
1: you know you gotta go through your checklist check this check that walk around the plane make sure there's no dings everything works you gotta take the rudders and move them with your hands make sure it all works okay
0: yeah well I mean we have pre-trips on our school buses and so yeah
1: well, flying a plane is a little bit different than a school bus. But uh, you got all those kids, though. True, yeah. And that's that's another deal. <laughs> I
0: don't know what you can do about pre-tripping the kids. They're, they're pretty no. much... They're the way they're going to be. And that's you, something you, that you, mom you and dad... You just have to break them in through the school year and then subsequent years. So the, the kids that I've driven for more than a year... Are generally the best behaved because they, they know that I'm, I'm not going to take any malarkey. They can, if they're just quietly chatting or, or whatever, I'm going to leave them alone.
1: But you know, that, that getting them prepared to be in a school bus with other kids, that's got to come from home. You know, too many people neglect to make their children
0: civilized. Sometimes it does feel that way when you drive a school bus. Oh, it is that way. I mean, yes. you can see it. Well, and, 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 you it's, know, it's interesting cuz you get some students are that are yep, yeah, you get some students that are just as good as gold and you 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 just love them and it's like, yeah, I I could drive you every day for the rest of my life. But those are the <laughs> then, the kids
1: that the parents do the job. They they yeah. parent.
0: They're not the best friends. Well, and and Sometimes as a bus driver, you have to do a little uh, ad hoc parenting yourself. It's called the, tough love. Uh, sometimes it is. <laughs> yeah. So, like, no, that is not acceptable behavior on this bus.
1: Yeah, it just it just irritates me that uh, parents don't think that their kids do anything wrong. And, oh, well, you sense. want to see this video of what your child does? And some do, some no, some don't.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because we, we, we have cameras on the buses. We have two cameras, uh, one at the front and one halfway back. Uh, so you, you can't sit at the back of the bus to avoid the front camera because, nope, there's one halfway back. Yeah. It's just like you
1: I remember one trick that these wild seventh grade boys would pull is they would sit in one seat and then they would jump over into the next. <laughs> it's like, well, you just sit down. I do yeah. recall, it was my first year coaching. We were driving back from Lancaster, Wisconsin, heading north into snow. And sitting in front of the bus, those windows are absolutely huge, just like a glass door. Oh, yeah. And the snow was coming at us. I thought it was Luke Skywalker.
0: Yep, it looks just like that it stuff looks like out all of Star the stars Wars where you're going through space.
1: Eighth grade boys, there were probably <laughs> ten of them in the back going nuts and i could see the bus driver was getting white knuckles and this kid was one of them so i got up i walked to the back and i told them that the bus driver has a lot of responsibility believe this or not your parents do want to see you home safely we want to see you home safely so now please sit down shut up and enjoy the ride home i walked back up to the front and I could see blood going back into the hands of the bus driver, the 8th grade coach looked at me and said, Thank
0: you. And I nodded. Yeah. Well, you know, you when you're driving a team and the coach is on the bus, it's like you, you don't want to overstep the coach's boundaries. But on the other hand, it is your bus. Well... So you're, you're in my world now, buddy. So... Yeah, and, and this guy, he... So it's he, tough to know whether to... to Shouts at the kids or, or whatever. Yeah. And some I, some coaches don't do it, and then you just end up having to say, Guys, could you settle down back there? And yeah. And then, then sometimes the coach will take the hints, and they'll just go, Yeah, listen to the bus driver, settle down.
1: <laughs> yeah, because they're probably sleeping. In fact, that's when I started, to, that was my last year coaching when I fell asleep on a bus ride back from Cuba City or Hazel Green. It was one of those two, it was a long bus ride, and I had maybe six kids that I had to take care of on the bus, and they were all good kids, but I thought, you know what, never again. But I was getting, I think I was just in my 60s, and it's been, it, was, it gets to be a long day, especially during the month of December when oh yeah you're in the middle of the season, and I have to be up at work at 5 in the morning, and it happens to be 7.30 at night when we're heading home. But you know what I would do with the Adventist cell phones, I would say, Okay, we're five minutes out of town and we'd be twenty. And I say, Start calling your parents and when we pulled up to the school, we saw a line of headlights.
0: Waiting to take their little darlings oh, home. Oh yeah. my
1: gosh, that that is just the greatest sight for a coach. Knowing you don't have to wait, especially we would take turns on who would stay. Okay and I do remember one time I had to wait an hour and a half because Dad was working late, couldn't get out of a meeting. Mom was working in Madison thinking Dad was going to pick the kid up. So then I got a ride home from Mom, and all she did was apologize. I said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, after every apology. (laughs) And then there was the one where the last kid and... We're in the middle of school, and there's no lights on. So she dries up, slows down, and takes off. And I go, really? And the kid is running out after her. Then he came back. Now what do I do? Let's go. I'm going to give you a ride home. So I give the kid a ride home. It wasn't very far from where we are now. And I said, I want to make sure you're in the house, so flick the lights twice. Just to make sure. Not once, twice. And then leave them on after the second flick. Okay. So that was good. So anyway, the life of a seventh grade coach. You know, with high school coaches, there's always someone there, or a uh, an upperclassman basketball player or a football player that'll take the kid home. You know, uh, they're yeah. friends and and they get around it that way. Or their parents will do that. I I can't understand why some people can't take another child home just get them off our hands you know yeah legally we can't do that and another thing you have you are responsible until they are back on school grounds so we had to have a note from parents i remember getting notes on napkins the back of a book what? of matches and oh here's one here's one uh, i think somebody used a road map one time <laughs> I'm taking my son home, okay. So then we had forms. You yep, would take, yeah. this is the date, this is where we are, and you just signed student's name, parent signature. And that worked so much nicer. So you'd count, you knew how many kids you had on the bus, because yeah, some kids couldn't if, make it for academic I reasons. It kind was of
0: my first or second sports trip that I drove. Uh, I, I remember being amazed at how quiet the bus was on the way home, because... Like two thirds of the kids were taken home by their parents. Yep, um, and you know, so they they explain, yes, yeah, this, this usually happens. Like, oh, okay, as long as as long as everyone's cool, and we, you know, and, and they were just making sure they all the kids accounted for. So they had a form with all the, all the names of the kids on. So, okay, this Joey went home with parents. Fred yep. went home with parents. Okay, so we are left to be with a these. parent
1: or a legal guardian. Or legal can't guardian, be grandma. Yeah. Can't be grandpa. Can't be uncle. Aunt. Brother, or sister, or somebody's other's mom and dad. Even if they called the school, they wouldn't allow it.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Or bus. So that that surprised me the first time, but they explained that. Oh, yeah, this is, this is usually what happens. Okay, that's that's fine then. Yeah. The important thing was I always wait. I assume our other drivers do. I always wait till the. Uh, coach or the attending teacher says we've got everybody you can go now yep <laughs> yeah, because right. I don't want to leave anyone behind
1: yeah so you, you take roll call you, I, what I would do is count heads but then, then again you know halfway through the season you know everybody right and then there's always that kid that a couple of kids that have to ride the bus back just to have fun
0: <laughs> no no surely not
1: That's right. Go home with your parents. They'll take you out for pizza. Yeah. So as long as you
0: want to... That's that's where you wish that the rules didn't say you can't use duct tape.
1: Yeah. Or a sock and duct tape. (laughs) Exactly. But generally, I was really fortunate my last year, I had some... The kids that couldn't get a ride back or mom and dad they couldn't get Bless you. Now, Lisa was sneezing allergies yeah. uh, they were super good kids Throughout the of kids their parents came and took them home and I was, I was so blessed with that but I do remember telling the middle school teacher this is my last season I won't be coaching next year Her jaw literally hit the floor. I had done it for 20 years. It was like I was going to do it again and again and again. And once you're away from it, you can't go back. I bet you once you were away from bus driving for a year or two years, it would be really tough for you to go back.
0: Um, It might be. I mean, we uh, we had quite a few weeks During the plague, where we were driving, but wasn't that long. Uh, I think the first year I drove, I didn't do summer school that year, so it it felt kind of weird at the start of the school year. It's like, oh, let me see if I remember how to do this.
1: (laughs) You know, but you're bus driving. That's a long period of time. If you if you went cold turkey for two years, like my buddy Wags. He went cold turkey for two years, and now he's got to go to Washington D.C. and he hasn't been to Washington D.C. in probably three years, and now things are, you know, they're nutty out there.
0: True, yeah. I it would probably depend where you were going, but yes.
1: I guess yeah. driving a Toiling Valley is not a big deal.
0: Right. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to drive a school bus in Chicago. Well, Ooh.
1: around Chicago, through Indianapolis, over to Cleveland. And I don't know what else you go through before you get
0: to uh, Washington, D.C. That would be a little (laughs) nerve-wracking. Yeah.
1: A lot of impatient cab drivers honking their
0: horns at you. True. Yeah, I've driven into Madison a couple of times, you know, like doing the zoo trip or things like that. That wasn't too bad.
1: Well, but you're not even in downtown Madison. You're not around the square or the loop, which is the blocks around the square there's a square and then the next yes. is the loop yeah. mm-hmm. and you know it gets nutty down there especially with bike you know bike does, riders.
0: especially with the the students and it depends on yeah so for instance I, I think I would just point-blank refuse to drive anywhere near Madison in uh, move-in week oh <laughs> even, <laughs> so. even when you're moving in it's a pain <laughs> yeah yeah that would be
1: that would be a challenge yeah, I remember that quite well. <laughs>
0: so, well, we'll be uh, we'll be moving Kate in, down in Chicago in late August. So.
1: But she's going to be in the dormitory, correct? She will, yes. Yeah, okay, so
0: that... But still, <laughs> we're going to drive to Chicago. Oh, you know, I've been around that L- University of uh, Chicago area. Yeah, so Loyola. 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 Yeah, you know, yep. that's, that's not bad. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not bad. Uh... I don't know what the parking is like there because we were when we went for the campus visit we stayed at an airbnb and took the we were we were close enough we could walk we were like seven or eight blocks away so we just walked over so i don't i don't actually know what the parking on campus is like
1: <laughs> so. oh i don't know i've been on the university of chicago campus Driven through Lyle, but there, oh my gosh, it's been many, many, many years. Yeah.
0: Uh, We'll figure it out. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Hopefully, they'll have lots of people uh, directing traffic on move-in day.
1: They'll all have a t-shirt. Ask me. Well, we
0: have to go down for orientation as well, and that's a two-day thing. So, hopefully, at some point, somebody will say, and when you come back for move-in, park here thank you that's if what I want to know if
1: they don't tell you then ask
0: yeah, yeah. I'll be I'll be keeping a careful eye out for those sort of things
1: well yeah. it's, it'll be that bus driver instinct you have now
0: I, I never really thought of it as an instinct but okay well you do it so often it's <laughs> an instinct
1: yeah. it becomes habit yeah. you know it's like uh, like anything you do you don't even think about it you just react
0: also true which is, which is good when you're throwing 40-foot of big yellow bus around. <laughs> in your if face. You make a mis- in if your you face, mistake, Yeah, if you make a mistake, everybody can see you. It's not, you don't blend in.
1: Well, even and those tour buses, they're even bigger. Look out. I recall... Oh, the motor coaches? Yeah, yeah. the motor coaches, yeah. I recall when I had to take this... Uh, when Christy and Anthony were moving to East Lansing, Michigan, I had to drive the longest <clears little throat> U-Haul you could get without having a chauffeur license. Okay. And I was fortunate the day before I left, I had a truck driver in, and I was waiting on him, and I was saying, yeah, I didn't even know he was a truck driver. He says, yeah, I gotta go through downtown Chicago, go to East Lansing, and there's a big U-Haul, and he said, I'm a truck driver, and all you have to do is you hit your blinker, you give it three counts, and then you start moving over, they'll get out of your way. (laughs) Said,
0: True. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Thank you for that advice. And it worked great. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. This is, a, I don't know how many years ago, five years maybe? Anyway, um, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to dread this U-Haul. They go 55 miles an hour, no air conditioning, crank windows. I had, I think, the newest U-Haul truck there was. I was doing 80. <laughs>
0: oh <my laughs> of course, God. you got to
1: put your own gas in it, but I didn't well, care. right. I was keeping up with the traffic. In fact, even passing the traffic, when I was in Michigan.
0: Well, the the rule of the road is not unlike the rule of the sea. So the rule of the road is smaller vehicles generally give way to larger vehicles, because you don't want to argue with a, a, a semi, right? Or a
1: big ship if yeah, you're a
0: indeed, uh, yeah. Because when uh, you know, I was in the canoe and kayak club, and we'd go out and float around, we were right close to uh, Devonport Naval Dockyard there at Plymouth, uh, the largest military port in Northern Europe. <laughs> so it, it's a big one. lots of lots of warships going in and out yeah. and you there there's a technical rule that uh, steam gives way to sail well not that many sailboats out there but the, the so that's what's supposed to technically happen so if you're out sailing around in your little sailboat that great big warship is supposed to give way to you well that doesn't happen because those things don't stop on a dime no. no so the reality is smaller boats get out of the way of the big ones because big ones can't stop
1: well in other words use your head
0: uh, yes or expect to lose it <laughs> Possibly lose it, yeah. So out there as, as kayakers, we're smaller everybody. We get out of everybody's way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we even get out of our own way. <laughs> so like, Yeah, because that warship is, I mean, and of course as they're approaching port, they're going really slow. Right. You have to, they, they do want to come to a stop, and then they're going really slow so that they can come to a stop. But they still produce a pretty good-sized wake. Behind them, because they're just a very large vessel.
1: Well, even at a no wake speed, it's a large wake.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly, and and of course, uh, once once you know what you're doing, we would start looking forward to that wake, and we would sit there watch the the ship go by, then we would try to surf that wave. So you'd hit it head-on, nose-on, right? Oh, well, we'd, we'd get... Or would you... We'd, we'd have it behind us so that it's picking us up, and then we'd would surf would, it. You know,
1: so you'd be perpendicular to it. You yes. wouldn't uh-huh. be parallel to it, otherwise you'd be
0: flipping uh, over. Kind of 45 degrees, but yeah.
1: Yeah, okay, 45. So we'd,
0: we'd we'd watch it go by, and then we'd turn ourselves so that... put our back to the to the wake, and then we would surf it.
1: Now, did you have a life jacket on?
0: Oh, we had the... Yeah, our... Our... Uh, Instructor for the for the club was... He took s- fun and safety very seriously.
1: Well, yeah, safety
0: first. So we we had to have buoyancy aids. We had to have helmets on. Yep, that was going to be the next question. Everything else was... There were strong recommendations. Because, you know, this is the southwest of England. The English Channel, that got seriously cold. So I would have... Uh, long johns with built-in feet and then I would have a t-shirt and then I would have a a nylon sweater that so it didn't matter if it got wet and then uh, I had a wetsuit jacket and then I had a windproof uh, windbreaker on top and then my buoyancy aid on top of that and then my helmet buoyancy
1: aid is a life jacket
0: now, technically, a buoyancy aid and a life jacket are two different things. Uh, okay, describe a buoyancy. A buoyancy aid is just like the uh, the vest that you see most people wearing if they're paddling around in a little kayak.
1: So that's um, what we call a life
0: jacket. Yeah, the, technically, it's a buoyancy aid. A life jacket is something that is designed to keep your head and especially your face out of the water. Those are the ones that you have they're only on the front and they yeah, they, norm- yeah. they normally aren't inflated until you hit the water so it, it goes around the front and around the back and it it uh in emergency it will either automatically inflate if it, it's a fancy one or you'll pull a uh, pull a piece of string and it'll inflate and the it is designed to keep you face up
1: Gotcha. And your face
0: out of the water. So that's a life jacket. It's, its sole purpose is to try and prevent you from drowning. Right. The buoyancy aid is literally just extra buoyancy. It, it's no help whatsoever. It's, it's like a vest. It, it Exactly. It's just like a vest. And, you know, great as long as you're conscious. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, you know, this is why we would wear the helmets to try to prevent any head injuries. To keep you conscious. Out. And we always, you know, we had the buddy system. There had to be at least two, preferably three people. And most of the time we all went as a group and everyone's keeping an eye on, on people. And we had designated safety boats. Uh, there were just certain people that... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I used to volunteer with a buddy of mine. Uh, we would generally be one of the safety boats. So if, if somebody got themselves in a pickle, we'd go in and get them out of it. <laughs> and you ha- you had to be one of the better kayakers because if the situation they got themselves into was difficult enough that it dumped them out and they were having trouble, well, you had to be able to get in there and out and rescue them without getting into trouble. <laughs> ah, so you had to
1: know what you are doing. Uh,
0: yes, yeah, so I was not a safety boat the first year, no. <laughs> but I, I caught on pretty quick and I was a safety boat for most of the years after that. When I wasn't doing crazy things, <laughs> misbehaving. No, no, we didn't. Within behave, the we, law, we we did we did crazy things and, and yeah. Well,
1: yeah, I, I did because we were
0: around a lot of rocks, and we would do things like uh, that we called rock hopping, and uh, or we we'd either go rock hopping or surfing and things like that. We'd do fun things in your kayak, kayaks and canoes. Yeah, All right. but I've done it in both kayaks and. Canoes.
1: Yeah, I had a canoe at one time, Lisa and I did. Gave it to ca- our son, Kendrick. Couldn't lift it up on top of the, the vehicle anymore. This a heavy. If this was an aluminum, I don't know how long it was, 20 foot? It was a big canoe. Oh, was it wasn't quite 20, I'll take that back. Maybe 16. That sucker was long. Oh my gosh. Heavy. Know, and you know what the great thing about it, it, it had like a flat bottom, then mm-hmm. a... Ca- it had sides oh, yeah. on it, so you could stand in it, and the point the point and the tail were full of foam, so there's no way it was going to sink.
0: Right. Even if it got full of water. Yeah.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Well, it could, because it would flip over, and the only way it would get full of water is if you deliberately canoed yeah. underneath the waterfall. Yeah. Then it still would not sink.
0: We used, to, we used to do some crazy stuff. I think our uh, our canoes, I, maybe 10 or 12 feet long, they were shorter. Uh, they, they weren't river, they weren't gently paddling down the river canoes. Well, that's what this was supposed to be, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When, when my
1: parents bought it, they wanted to get a, a good canoe so they wouldn't have to worry about us flipping.
0: Right, and, uh, perfect yeah, yeah, ours. Ours. We, we would we would go and do all kinds of crazy stuff. We would we would surf in it. So my my usual uh, buddy or partner in crime. Um, I would typically go at the front. He would typically go at the back, and we would we would surf. That was always good fun. Uh, or we do rock hopping, which is where the the swell is coming in to the rocks around the the, the seafront there at Plymouth. And you would pick a rock, you pick one that was relatively flat, and you would ride that swell in either over the rock on the other side and kind of play like leapfrog over it, or you would would pick a rock where you would ride the swell in, land on the rock, let the swell go out, so you're there on the rock. Then you'd wait for the next swell to come in, and you'd ride that back out. I have scars on the back of you. You can see a few of them. Some of them have faded, but that one's still pretty... Uh, from when I was learning how to do that, <laughs> you shed I, a little blood. I I shed uh, yes, regularly until I got good at it. <laughs> uh, yeah, because some of those rocks are pretty sharp. Oh, I imagine, and so yeah, I I got smashed up against the rocks uh, quite a lot to start with until we got it figured out and then learning how to do it with my buddy, so we had to be in complete and total uh, synchronization yeah. and we got there we got to the point where we could do all kinds of crazy stuff um, and we were just we were a team and you know, i would i would steer it in front he'd steer it to the back and uh, yeah that, that so was so
1: was there competition with this stuff
0: no we were just well no Horsen more we around. Who could do the most impressive, stupid thing and, and not dump out?
1: Oh, yeah, I've been there doing that kind of stuff, too. <laughs> you know, hey, we, we were
0: young men with lots of energy and testosterone. And you testosterone. make games
1: up as you go along through life. Well, of course.
0: Of course. It, no, that was, that was great fun. And there was one part. So the, the seafront at Plymouth had a number of different areas. There were rocky areas. There were concrete areas. Too. There were some kind of step areas where people could go and sit or, or could swim from it and stuff like that. There was one area near the, they, they had a saltwater swimming pool uh, on the front. They probably still do. And so the, the wall of the front and the wall where the swimming pool kind of came together at not quite 90, about 120 degree angle. And the waves would come in at an angle to that. Well, and the waves would reflect off the wall. Well, where the reflections would meet, you would get a spike. So if you had like a three-foot swell coming in, you get a six-foot spike because where it would come together, the the wave uh, would add. Whoosh, up into the air. And so you could get anywhere from a six to a 12-foot spike. Now, what was great fun, if you were crazy like we were, would be to follow that wave in at just the right distance so that when the reflections came, so you didn't want to be too close because you want to allow time for the wave to reflect off the walls. Right. And be exactly where that spike was going to be.
1: Oh, so you'd go up from here.
0: <laughs> yes, we wouldn't go up quite as high as just the water would Well, be. you're a
1: big guy, of course we not. Would, uh,
0: <laughs> that was fun.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that would be a rush. Kind of
0: like a, a carnival ride. Um, yes yes uh, <laughs> but nobody was checking that you were tall enough for the ride first oh you, yeah you just had to be crazy enough and skillful enough to to be at the right place go up in the air and have sufficient balance that when you came down you you wouldn't capsize and then enough uh wait for the next one enough skill to to paddle out of that and then get, get wait for the <laughs> and next then one. wait for the next one. Now, yeah. did
1: your safety instructor see all this happen?
0: Oh yes, yeah, because then what would happen is you know one or two of you would, would do one of these crazy things at a time, and everybody else would sit there watching. Oh, so okay. the one of the one of the designated safety boats would would come drag you out if necessary. Oh, okay. So when I wasn't doing one of these crazy things, I was sitting there watching people ready to go and rescue them if it didn't work well. For did them. you ever have to be rescued? Uh, mostly I rescued myself. <laughs> well, you're a rescue guy to begin I, with. Well, right. Uh, but occasionally I would, you know, if you if you capsize out, uh, sometimes it's helpful for somebody else to come along and then, uh, lend a hand. Empty your kayak out. So if, if I was in a kayak. Uh, or, or even the, the canoe. So if we capsized the canoe, somebody would drag it over the front of their kayak, let the water drain out, and then flip it over the right way and help us climb back in. Okay. So yeah, we would occasionally get some help. Uh, I don't think I, I... Maybe once or twice I ever needed actual rescuing.
1: I never did anything that crazy. Did fly a plane,
0: though. Well, that, that has lots of potential for crazy. I
1: flew into the Ashkosh Air Airshow. As and from what I've,
0: to what I've heard, that is the, is, isn't that the most highly trafficked airport for that week in the world? Yes. Yeah. I guess that's pretty crazy. <laughs> that That is pretty crazy. Yeah, in and out, unscathed. So I imagine the, the guys that run the tower there must be really good.
1: Yeah, well, and my instructor said, uh, oh, I think that's the Oshkosh Air Show." Yeah, I know what it is. He stopped, thought for a minute. Oh, you're good enough. You'll get in and out of there. Now, there I felt like a top gun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you fly in there, you see these uh, planes with four engines, with six engines. You see jets.
0: Oh, you see all kinds of jets. Oh, my gosh.
1: Yes. When I was yeah. coming in, and then when I was leaving, there was a guy with a mayday. And I'm getting out of there. I'm heading to Boscobel. I was going to go to Eau Claire to do a, a 100 mile rectangular, but I the weather was getting bad and there were storms coming in, so I hightailed it back to Boscobel. And this one guy was at a bay day, losing altitude, and they had to find a cornfield for him to land in. Oh, wow. Huh. I was all back in, I'm trying to think of a 77? It was oh, right. seventy-seven. Okay. August of seventy-seven. I got my logbook somewhere in this yeah, it's there. pile there.
0: So I, I've only been to the air show once, which was like two years ago, which was actually its fiftieth anniversary. So I, I still have the, the official fiftieth anniversary uh, little handbook. Okay. Um, that was that was fun to see a lot of just amazing stuff. I'd, I'd love to go again. Uh, the flying demonstrations were cool. The static demonstrations or the the static uh, airplanes just walking around some of those old things like wow those are just superb. And then they had a an F thirty five fly in that was nice. Uh, oh,
1: some yeah. of those airplanes are incredible. You know just. You're punching buttons that light up, and then it goes and does what it needs to do. But Top Gun Maverick, you you got to pay close attention. And if you've ever flown a plane, you Which know yeah. all the things that you have to know, and they're pushing buttons, and I'm like, I'm lost. I know the altimeter. <laughs> You know, the thing they keep Well, you probably didn't have weapon
0: systems on yours. Oh, no, no, we
1: didn't never had that. The only weapon was me if I was a bad pilot or <laughs> made a mistake.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that would do it. That would be a weapon. Yeah. Well, I, I did hear, some, again, go back to the Jocko podcast when they were talking to uh, Dave Burke, the former. Top Gun Senior Instructor, he was talking about the fact that the airplanes that they were flying were, were two-seaters, because while they obviously didn't have the actors flying the airplanes, they put them in the back seat, and then they had a real pilot up front, and they had them pulling maneuvers to get these actors to experience real G-forces, And you can see their apparently, you can see their faces, uh, you know, doing that that uh, That shaking, that flapping in the breeze thing with uh, with the g forces, Uh, and those were real g forces. No special effects. They took them up in the airplane. They pulled some tight turns and did all of the things to. To get them to look like they were really being flown, like they were really actually flying. So you see their, their their arms moving as if they're using you know flying the the airplane, but the the pilot's actually flying it. But they are really experiencing all those G's and and where you see the background suddenly you know the flip because the the plane flipped. The plane really flipped. Everything was legit. It was all real. They didn't use any special effects for that. That's that's <laughs> cool. So. Oh. Yeah, so I've, I've never, you know. Did I ever tell you about the helicopter he went on? Uh, no. Do we have time in this podcast,
1: or should we save that for another? We should probably save that for another time. We will. We'll get close to Labor Day, because that happened at Ridgeway.
0: Okay. I also have uh, a, a, an amusing helicopter story to tell, so yeah. Obviously, I lived, so that that's good.
1: I did too. Didn't fall out. <laughs> had a safe Had a seat belt on. Not a safety harness. It was a seat
0: belt. Just a lap belt, probably. It was. Yeah. Okay.
1: Out of a crop dusting helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, the guy was a Vietnam helicopter pilot. So that's the okay. introduction.
0: Excellent. Well, I will look forward to that. So, well, with that, uh, dear listener, looks like uh, Bill has finished his beverage. He looks ready for bed. I am just about there. I feel ready for bed as well. So we are going to hang it up. Uh, Have a good rest of your day, and we'll catch you next time.